First John chapter five. First John chapter five. And uh, sound room, you'll just have to kind of follow follow my lead on this because I'm just going to preach right through it. But I want to uh, back up to verse 13, and we're going to read to the to verse 21. So let's stay in all the Word of God. I know you're tired of sitting all day, and uh, <laughs> when did that ever happen? Amen. Uh, and we'll read verse 13 through 21 and end our study. And then uh, I got a, a, a young preacher coming in next uh, Wednesday. He's going to preach through the whole book of Second John. And then we'll uh, turn over to Brother Jeremy for the study of the book of Daniel uh, after that. So we're going to go through the great book of Daniel uh, on Wednesday nights after our anniversary Sunday. So I'm going to take a sabbatical from preaching for a while. Uh, on Wednesday. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 through 21. The Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Isn't that a great promise? And if, you, and if we know that he hear, hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desire of him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, that was an interesting study, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. And I do not say that he, he shall pray for it. And all unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that, here's, here's our text, and we know that we are of God, and that the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And here's the closing comment. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And all God's people said, amen. I want to prove something tonight. The word amen is a very scriptural word to say. Amen? Amen. It means so be it. You may be seated. Father, Thank you that you are worthy to sing about, to serve, to give our lives, to sacrifice even for you, Lord. And many people uh, in other countries have sacrificed their lives for your glory and your honor. Lord, may we be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, which is our reasonable service. And God, thank you for this great chapter. But God, thank you for this great book on sweet fellowship or the reality of life. God, help us to have a real life. God, may people that are not living for you realize they're just committing idolatry, that there's other gods before you, that they might be the God of self or the God of money, as Brother Jason so wonderfully preached Sunday night. And God, I pray, dear God, that we'd not commit idolatry in our lives. So Lord, please, Help us as we preach. Give us strength. Give us clarity of thought. Uh, be with the, um, uh, those that uh, uh, broadcast the, the outline. Be with those that are homesick or shut in. 
that God, they might get a blessing uh, from this message tonight. And we'll thank you and praise you for the encouragement you give them. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to, I want to title these last few verses, Living the Living for God, the Life for God. Really, the whole book of 1 John, uh, Wearsby uh, titles it as Be Real. And this is a wonderful book on reality. It's a wonderful book on real fellowship, real kinship. I want you to see, first of all, that we need to, the learning in life about God. In verse 18, the Bible tells us that we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. There's an absence of, of, in life. There ought to be a desire in your heart not to sin. Now, you will sin, and it's not a license to sin. It's a license to love God for his mercy, but I don't believe you ought to habitually sin. I believe you ought to sin less. And one of the evidence of being born of God, 1 John 3, 9, as we studied many months ago, it says, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. And that's habitual sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. That means he cannot sin habitually and get away with it. There's two things going to happen when you get saved. Number one, there's going to be change or there's going to be chastisement. Uh, I know with all my heart when I was growing up in 2172 Holly Hill Drive, Decatur, Georgia, and I don't remember the address. Yeah, it was 1513 DuPont Avenue, Atlanta, Georgia. I knew for one thing, I knew that I was Lily uh, Benefield Cofield's son because every time I messed up, she would wear the devil out of me. Uh, she would whoop me. Uh, I wanted to turn her into Planned Parenthood, but she'd have killed me. And, uh, and I wouldn't really want to turn anybody into that place. But I want to tell you something. I knew I was a legitimate child of Lily Cofield because she corrected me all the time. I couldn't get away with anything. She was always on my case. And you know something? Today I call her blessed because she was a good mama. And she said many times that she whooped me uh, very compassionately and very directly. You're not going to turn out like your sorry daddy. And, uh, and I want to tell you something. Daddy got saved, and he, he, and he was, uh, turned out to be a saint. So I'd, I'd like to be just like him. But I want to tell you something, folks. There ought to be a desire in your heart to please God. Look at 1 John 3, 22. I'm going to give you a lot of verses that we studied in past weeks. It says in 1 John 3, 22, and whatsoever, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. That'll be the goal of your life, pleasing your sight. As I read those verses in Revelation chapter 4, it says all things were and, were and are created for his pleasure. The only way to please God is by what? Faith, Hebrews eleven six. And so we need to live by faith, not by feelings, not by the focus of the world, and not by the uh, fleshly desires. And folks, we want our prayers answered. This is, and whatsoever we ask, we receive him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You'll not have your prayers answered unless you're in his will. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we know that he hears hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desire of him. Now the TV evangelist takes that out of context and says name it and claim it. And uh, one time I offended a lady uh, because I blasted those fair weather 
rich millionaires on TV that um, name it and claim it and blame you if you don't get healed by your sin. And I just rebuked them. And uh, I'll do it again. Because, folks, that's not biblical. The biblical thing is it's God's will that ought to be the preeminent goal of your life. And so if God's will is the preeminent goal of your life, then sin should not be the will of your life. And Satan's will and flesh. And then number two, we see the awareness in life, the awareness of life. In verse 18, the last half of that verse, it says, We know that whatsoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and the wicked one toucheth him not. Folks, we need to realize there's a, there's a, there's a war going on, and that the wicked... Wants to touch us. And the Bible says we, we should keep ourselves. And we know whatsoever is born of God sinneth not. So there's that word again that the reason we do not want to sin is because we've got a new nature. First Peter chapter 1 says we have a divine nature. And it's not a matter of, uh, uh, of um, uh, wheeling and dealing. It's a matter of yielding. There's a key word in the Christian life and that's to yield to life to yield to the Holy Spirit, to die to self and to mortify the deeds of the flesh and yield to the Spirit of God and there is not just turning away from everything. A lot of people say, oh, you're against everything, just like John R. Rice and, and uh, used to, somebody came up to me and said, are you against? And before the lady could answer, ask the rest of the questions, yes. And uh, he had that reputation, but I want to tell you something, he was for prayer and he was a man of prayer and he influenced Dr. Lee Robinson probably more than any preacher on this earth. And he was a godly man. And he prayed sometimes all night uh, for his uh, evangelistic meetings. And they had hundreds and hundreds of saved in tent revivals all over America. That'd be great, wouldn't it, to see hundreds and hundreds of saved. And so there's awareness of life. And then there's assurance of life. I want you to notice in verse 19. It says, we know that we are of God. Now, you ought to stop right there. We know that we are of God. Now that's total identity and you ought to know that you're of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. I want to say this, as Brother Randy picked out that song, we are the light of the world and light does not love darkness. Men love, the sin, sinner loves darkness. Uh, he, 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 he entertains himself in the darkness. But I want to tell you something, we as children of light should walk in the light. And we have fellowship one with another because the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. And uh, we ought to have the armor of light on. Turn to Romans chapter 13. Might be 14. Uh, turn, turn to one of them. Amen. I'll, when I get there, I'll let you know which one's right. We'll just go to both of them. No. Romans chapter 13. Yes. Romans 13. And look at verse 11. Romans 13 verse 11. It says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Folks, I want to tell you something. If you ever, ever can realize this, this is perilous dark times. Folks, there's an antichrist spirit around this world. Uh, there is a, a, a devilish, demonic uh, movement. Some people call it terrorism. I call it Satanism. And uh, it's high time to wake out of sleep. Listen to this. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The word salvation is future tense. That means the deliverance from the presence of sin. That's the rapture. 
Look at verse 12, though. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Did you hear that? The armor of light. The greatest thing you have going for you is the light of God's countenance and power and the light of holiness and the light of Christ's likeness in your life. That's the greatest thing you have in these last days. What are you going to do in these dark days? You ought to shine. And you ought to be like a, 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 a city set up on a hilltop. And you ought to let your works glorify God, not yourself or your church or your preacher or anybody else. Uh, folks, we're at a great time uh, to have that assurance of salvation that we are on the winning side. Look at verse 13, Romans 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. What is that? Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. What a great verse. What a great verse for young people. What a great verse for us older young people. We ought not make provision for the flesh. I want to tell you something. You can't handle it is the reason why. If you're close to the fire, you will get burned. Ask David. He made provision for the flesh. I'm preaching to a bunch of preachers on February 6th. I'm honored to do that uh, at a sweetheart banquet. It's our Tri-State Preachers Fellowship, and all of them are coming together, and they want to mesh they want a message on uh, marriage because I want to tell you something. Our marriages are intact. And preach, if the preacher's marriage can fall, then many marriages in the church will fall. And I've seen many preachers commit the sin of adultery. And I've seen many preachers' wives commit the sin of adultery. And it wrecked the church. I mean, it, it devastated the church. The fastest growing church in Decatur, Georgia, Forest Hills Baptist Church, I preached there six weeks after the preacher was exposed, a great man of God, a great orator. I mean, he preached all over the nation, preached at our church every year. He was such a great preacher. And he was found with pornography in his motel room, and then he invited prostitutes. That's what pornography does. It's always aggressive, it's addictive, and it's deadly. And you always want the real thing, quote, unquote, the real sin when you see it in your eye gate as Brother uh, Jason preached. And that man fell, and that church fell. And that church was split down the middle. They had me come preach. I recommended Brother Lou Rossi, and Brother Lou Rossi lasted there seven years. And now I want to tell you something. That church does not exist today. They had to, they had to uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, come, come together with another church. And so they really don't have an identity. They had to take that church's identity because there's only a few people at Forest Hills Baptist Church left because of that man's sin. It devastated the fastest growing church in one of the fa 10 fastest growing churches in the United States of America. Don't you say sin doesn't hurt. And don't you think sin will not um, hurt. But that man made provision for the flesh. He decided he could preach in his own power. He decided he didn't need to live the life. He decided he could go and entertain people with his great oratorical ability and people would just sway to his speaking. And folks, I want to tell you something. He destroyed his testimony. He destroyed his family. 
and he destroyed God's church. One spiritual leader. So if you don't think it's important that I preach to pastors about their marriage, it's very important. To someone, you're the best couple they know when you're married. And your marriage ought to be beyond reproach. For the next generation needs a good pattern. Say amen. Don't make provision for the flesh. What's the world say? The world says it's all right to commit adultery. The world says you, uh, you, you just do what everybody else is doing. Don't do what everybody else is doing. Do what God says. Go by God's word and put on the armor of light. And folks, we cannot put on the armor of light if we dwell in the shadows. If we have one foot in the world and one foot for God. If we straddle the fence, if we just get in the darkness a little bit and we get so used to the darkness, we have more sin and more sin and more sin. Because sin will keep you longer than you ever thought it would. It'll take you lower and it'll cost you more than you ever want to pay. And it'll hurt you and your family, and the cause of Christ more than you'd ever imagine. So I believe the Bible tells us in these last verses that we ought to have some assurance. Verse 19 says, and we know that we are um, of God. That, that ought to just thrill your heart. You're of God. You're for God and of God. And folks, you are a representative. You're an ambassador. Uh, your king is Jesus and your home is heaven. Amen? And just as those crazy Iraqis bombarded our embassy and tried to take our embassy over a few uh, months ago that everybody's forgetting, well, not, not people that have got any sense, uh, forgetting all the attacks they've had on our country and our men and our embassy. Folks, we have an embassy. It's our life. We ought to guard it and protect it with everything we have. You ought to guard your life in Christ. Look at this. Verse 19. It says, For we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Go back to verse 13. If I had one verse to give a new convert, this would be it. It says, These things have I written unto you. What things? whole book of 1 John. Some people say, Oh, it's a whole New Testament. Oh, you can go that way if you want to. But John wasn't referring back to the whole New Testament. He didn't write all the New Testament. He said, these things are written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may, what? Know that you have eternal life. That you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Two things that will really give you blessed assurance. And that's uh, my point. Assurance of life. Is that you have, you did what the Word of God said. You trusted the book when the book said you were a sinner. And you, you, the wage of sin is death. It's a gift of God's eternal life. And then I believe that when you keep yourself and you walk in the light and you fellowship with God and you do those things that are pleasing to God and your sin's not a, 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 a habit but an exception. It's a terrible exception. I mean, you're even shocked at your own sin. You know, if you cuss, you ought to, you ought to, you ought to be shocked that you cuss. How many of you shocked when you cuss? So you said, no, I cuss all the time. Poor you should. You need to get saved. Uh, you ought to be shocked if uh, you give in to some sin. Amen? But some people are just so 
lackadaisical about their repentance. And then I want you to see the assessment of life in verse 19. The assessment of life. Not only do you have the assurance of life, but the assessment of life, it says in verse 19, last phrase, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. The whole world lieth in wickedness. Folks, the world's prince is the devil. Folks, the, the Lord's arena, the world's arena is the flesh. And the world and the flesh war against the things of God. It ought to be enmity towards, towards God. And then I want you to notice in verse 20 in closing that we have the arrival of life. Look at verse 20. And we know that the Son of God is come. I preached Sunday, Wednesday night before uh, Christmas on the times that the word manifested was used in 1 John. Five reasons Jesus came. And there it is. He was manifested to take away our sins. He was manifested, uh, uh, verse 9 of chapter 4. And this was manifested the love of God towards us. Because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Manifested. That's the incarnation. God wanted to show himself, so he showed up in Jesus. And he showed up to reveal God to you. And to reveal the only way to heaven. And that's Jesus Christ. And so the rival of life is found in, in the incarnation. For we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him that is true. That we may know him that's true. Folks, listen, not only is in incarnation of life proof that he's come and life has come, but there is indwelling of life. The indwelling of life. I know I'm saved because he lives within my heart. I know I'm saved because I have a convictor his name is the Holy Ghost. And he convicts me of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. I know I'm saved because the Holy Spirit crowns Jesus Lord of my life and makes Jesus real. Folks, this is real. This is real worship. This is really the place you ought to be. This is the real priority of life. This is really living. And a lot of people think, no, it's partying that's really living. It's drinking that's really living. It's drugging that's really living. Well, how are they doing? How's their life? And folks, that's not real living. I know Brother Steve sees it often and Brother Larry, and when I go to the prison, I see it often. I, I, some of the sharpest young men I've ever seen in my life, sharp young ladies, and I, find, I, and I look at them and I say, how in the world did they come to this place? And some of them are spending life in that place and some of them just have no hope and they get out five minutes and they get drugged up again and they, and they just feel like they cannot live without it. And folks, I want to tell you something. They're not living, they're existing. And they're marking time. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And I'll tell you what, the moral center, I mean that one that has everything that money could buy but does, doesn't have a home, doesn't have a wife he can trust doesn't have children that are glorifying God. Folks, they're not living. They're not living. They're just existing. So if you want to see the, the arrival of life, it's when Jesus comes in the incarnation. He came to us and he died on the cross, but also when he comes in our life. And folks, I want to tell you something. He dwells in our life. And he ought to reside not only in our life, but he ought to preside. He ought to be Lord of our life. And let me just close 
um, our study of 1 John, I see the astuteness of life. The astuteness of life. In the person of the Holy Spirit, verse 20, it says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. There it is, understanding. To be astute means you understand. You rightly evaluate. We need an evaluation of what really life is all about. It's not about you, by the way. It's about Him. God created you for Him and His glory. I won't get into that. But look at this. And He has given us an understanding that we may know Him. That is true. And we are in Him. That is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now He's saying, hey, it's real life. You're really living when you live for God. And I don't think we ought to apologize for wanting to go to church. I don't believe we ought to apologize for not going to their liquor parties. I don't believe we ought to apologize for believing uh, in life and life abundant. I don't believe we ought to apologize for being a Christian. I don't believe we ought to apologize for the old-fashioned way. And I don't believe we ought to apologize of not loving this world, but loving God more. Why? Because he's worth loving. And he is life. And they're not living, you're living. But don't get a holier-than-thou attitude about it. Go to them and show them the difference and tell them the way out. And so there's, there, in the person of the Holy Spirit, we have understanding. Turn to John chapter 14. John wrote this in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 26. You talk about homeschooling. Praise God, this is, this is the homeschooling of the nth degree. It says in verse 26 of chapter 14 of John, listen to this. It says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, if that Holy Ghost bothers you, you that's, that's a biblical term. He's the Holy Ghost. It says, whom the Father will send in my name. Listen to this. He shall teach you all things and bring to things, uh, things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Folks, I'm so glad that we have a resident teacher. And I want to tell you this, friend, without the Spirit of God, this is the most boring subject in the world tonight. Without the Holy Spirit of God, you come to leave. Without the Holy Spirit of God, you probably won't stay awake. Without the Holy Spirit of God, a preacher preaching 40 minutes will be as about a born as you can get. But if the Holy Ghost shows up and says amen one time in your soul, and, and maybe speaks to your heart and numbers your sin and numbers your opportunities and convicts your life. Folks, I want to tell you something. There is a wonderful astuteness, a, an awareness that you possess the person of life to know him, to know him, to be in him. It's a perfection of life, true God, eternal life. But here's the pungent warning in closing. It says, little children, that's compassion. John said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. I mean, one last PS. And you know, the Bible, Bible uh, literature, when I was in uh, college and high school, said that the PS in a letter was the most important thing you should write because most people will go to that first, read the letter, then read it again. That that's just the, that's just the, the emphasis. Well, here's the PS. Here's the postscript. This is, the, this is the, uh, the end line. Little children, compassionate warning, but here's a caution. Keep 
yourselves from idols. The word keep is a military term. And folks, then he closes that, that, uh, that challenge, that warning with this word, amen. I'm going to amen the affirmation of this truth and the affirmation of this uh, uh, whole book of 1 John was saying this. There's a quick synopsis of this whole book. The whole book is emphasizing that Christ Jesus came to this earth to manifest himself, to make himself available so you could be saved. But not only be saved, but that you could have fellowship with him. I want you to go back to 1 John chapter 1, and I just want to read the first three verses to emphasize this keep yourself from idols. Because I'm going to tell you something. The Christians of that day were under great attack, uh, especially in the uh, place called Ephesus. Uh, and I mean, they were under great attack by people that were worshiping idols. And uh, they were turning uh, to God from idols, serving, and they should serve the living God, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 9. And idols are dead, but Christ is alive. Idols are false, but Christ is true. And this is the secret of life that is real. Keep yourself from idols. Watch out for the imitations. Watch out for the artificial. I don't even like saccharine, praise God. I like the real stuff, amen, called sugar. That's why I'm so plump. I like the real thing, don't you? Uh, the only thing I don't really like the real thing of is butter. I can't stand butter. I'll, I, my mother used to make butter-filled pound cake. I wouldn't touch it. But if it has margin in it, I'll eat that till Jesus comes. Uh, that's the only invitation I, I like. Don't like butter. But I'll tell you this, friend. I don't like the invitations of the world. And folks, I want to tell you something. A person who's born of God lives a righteous life, 1 John 2, 29. A child of God does not commit sin habitually, 1 John 3, 9. A child of God loves each other, 1 John 4, 7. If you're born of God, you love one another. A child of God uh, loves not the world, neither the things of the world, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. The, uh, matter of fact, um, he hates the world. And then 1 John 5, 4, the real child of God is an overcomer and overcomes the world. That's a mark of a true child of God. Five birthmarks we went over several times in this study. Folks, that's real living. And the reason you ought to really live is because uh, if you're not a child of God, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, you can be a child of wrath. And then the Bible says in First John, John 3, 10, you can be a child of the devil. And folks, I want to tell you something. We need to be saved, and we need to act like it. We need to look like it. And a counterfeit Christian, they're so common, but something as counterfeit as a $10 bill, it'll always come out at the bank. And the teller will say, I'm sorry, but this bill is counterfeit. And one day, you might try to circulate your life through all these things and everything, but I want to tell you something. At the, at the judgment, it'll come out. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 through 23 says, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out many devils and demons, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you worker of what? Iniquity. Matthew 7, 22 through 23. So each one of us must ask this question. Am I a true child of God? Or am I a counterfeit? Have I truly been born again? If you've been born again, there are some birthmarks. And folks, there's a real life. First John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. One through three, I'll read and we'll close our whole study of the book of 1 John. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and handled of the word of life. Did you hear what he calls Jesus? The word of life. Folks, he is life. He's real life. Look at verse two. For the life was manifested. There's that word manifested. It says it was manifested and we have seen it and we bear witness and show it unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Ye also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It says, these things write unto you that your joy may be full. You'll never have joy until you're right with God. You'll never have joy until you believe that the only life worth living is a life of reality. And folks, that's why he closed with keep yourself from idols. Little children, keep yourself from idols. You are born again. You don't go up to the temple of of, uh, Diana and worship like a harlot. You don't go into these temples and sacrifice to these dead things that look like living things, but there's no life in them. That's an idol. And folks, there's no life in the world. There's no life in the heroes of the world. There's no life in money uh, 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 apart from God. There's no life in just working yourself to death There's no life in being popular. There's no life in being uh, uh, one that the world applauds unless you have Jesus. So I hope that you got something out of this epistle of joy, this epistle of fellowship, this epistle of reality. It's a real life because you have a real Savior. Don't, don't, succumb to the invitations and don't succumb to the idols. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful study of 1 John. I've enjoyed it so much and I've got a lot out of it. And I've been convicted about a lot of things in my life. Lord, it's not only a life to experience, it's a life to share. I thank God that John was willing to share what was in his heart and share his experience of touching Jesus physically but spiritually. Share that he was one of the only men that went all the way to the cross and was at the foot of the cross when he heard that he was supposed to take care of of Jesus' mother and that it is finished. And into thy hands I commend thy spirit. And my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He heard it all. He felt it all. But Lord, thank you that he shared it all and wrote the book. 
of 1 John about real life and real fellowship. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm not going to preach again from 1 John for a while. But I hope you got something out of it. And I hope that God touched your heart about how precious it is to know Christ. How precious it is to be faithful to Him. How precious it is to have fellowship, not only with just one another, but this is precious, but have fellowship with God. And maybe you'd say, preacher, tonight, God has convicted me that I need to draw closer to God. And I really need to be more proud of being in the army of God and being uh, His child, being the family of God. And I want my fellowship to be the furtherance of the gospel. I want you to please pray for me that God would use my life in a greater way this year. Would you lift your hand high for prayer all over this place? Father, thank you so much for this study and thank you, God, for teaching us something and convicting us about a lot. Lord, may we serve you because you're worthy. May we serve you, dear God, because you are the author and finisher of life. God, thank you. Thank you for the many years I've been saved. Thank you, Lord, for those that's just been saved a few months in this room. Thank you, dear God, for the sweet fellowship we can have as we open our Bibles every day and pray and seek your face and please you with our entire being. We'll thank you and praise you for using these that raise their hand. You know the burdens, you know the hindrances. I pray, dear God, that you'd help them to realize that to someone, they're the best Christian they know. God, may we be a faithful witness in Jesus' name. Amen.